Yo, yo. What's good, player? I feel like you're in a good mood this morning. Did the Saints win? They did win. They won some crazy overtime game. Uh, they're so bad. I don't know how they have such a good record right now. We're tied for first in division somehow, but we're really bad. <laughs> I was like, I could tell the Saints won. Alton is like in a good mood, positive vibes. I mean, you remind me of that story Lil Wayne told me one time, or told on somebody, not me, but you know, told somebody. He was like, if the Saints lose, people call my mom and give them condolences as though somebody's died. <laughs> I mean, I think that's how people feel in the city if the Saints do lose, though. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. I'll say that. Uh, so I was like, oh, we got them good condolences. Which brings me to the other question. I feel like I was listening to Joe Budden, you know, that other podcast out there. <laughs> and, uh, and he suggested that one of the few times in which as a rapper he's ever felt like, oh, I really got got. I mean, that was, that was some amazing stuff. Is is this Lil Wayne line, um, real G's move silent like lasagna. <laughs> What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, because lasagna got two G's in it, right? But they're silent. Yeah, that's true. He was like, he was like, he was like, it took me a whole, whole moment because he was like, I realized I actually didn't know how to spell lasagna. And then he had to look it up and he was like, oh, snap. <laughs> I mean, it might be real G's moving silence like lasagna. Sure. <laughs> and then, uh... <laughs> And then when I was talking to you the other day about voting, and you were like, you know, I voted, I feel like I got that out of my system. The other little Wayne line came to me. Um, as soon as I come, I come to my census. And I was just like, I was like, I've just been thinking a lot about like, what does it mean to be a genius? You know what I mean? Cause like, real G is moving silence like lasagna is a pretty good line. I'm just like, I would never have thought of that. It's so simple, but you know, but what does it mean to be a genius? I mean, I was kind of disappointed when I saw Lil Wayne out there. First, I felt like he made a satorial mishap when he was wearing that weird uh, sweater vest, uh, V-neck sweater with Trump looking like the American flag. But also you're kind of like, why is he standing? He looked like oh, Harry Potter. I'm like, why the fuck is Lil Wayne dressed up <laughs> like Harry Potter? But you know, as, as the great Aristotle once said, no great genius has ever existed without a touch of madness or something like that. So, yeah, I talked to my boy Oliver, and he was like, you have to understand Lil Wayne is insane. Yeah, it's completely nuts, right? <laughs> and Courtney, you know, she was saying, uh, Courtney, the composer, was saying, you know, just because you're a lyrical, uh, musical genius doesn't mean that all your skills are developed in political analysis. Not only doesn't it mean, it has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Like, it doesn't apply it in any way, shape, or form. I mean, let's be honest. What happened is all these rappers got together and they realized they didn't want to pay tax. Somehow, what you were telling me about, everyone's scared of this quote-unquote Biden tax plan, which I don't even think is real, funny enough. I don't think it's a real thing. I don't think, it's definitely not real. <laughs> yeah, Biden not is real. not the man not. coming to give you taxes, right? Definitely not. I don't, I don't believe it. Um, but Biden represents Delaware. The only thing Biden might be doing is trying to tell people that they need to actually register their companies in Delaware if they don't want to pay tax. Yeah, and they might need to get some more credit cards. You know, he's all about that. That's, that's more of what he's about. I don't think he's trying to like raise taxes on anybody. You know? <laughs> Biden's like, I've never paid any taxes either. Oh, no. Biden does pay taxes. Oh, he pays a lot of taxes. He's just like, you, you get your loan, you make some money off of it, and you pay your taxes. What's the problem? I guess that's true. I guess Biden is like, yeah, you take out a $100 million loan, you pay $4 million in taxes. You put the money in the stock market, you make the money back. I mean, what, why is everybody complaining? Yeah, who's, compl who's complaining about this? Why are people so like, just do it. Just do the thing. It's America. It's great. You know? <laughs> But you think they're right. I mean, I was. I think you're right. I think it's about 
my friend uh, who studies real estate is like a historian of real estate, and she was like, yeah, why did Lil Wayne come out? And I was thinking, I mean, where do rappers put their money, right? Rappers are actually, a lot of them put their money in like, I don't want to call them slum landlords, but you know, lower income, uh, maybe middle income real estate, right? And a lot of them are probably pissed off. I was listening to this guy from Philly and he was saying, us real estate owners, us renters association owners, we're really mad because the, you know, anti-eviction notices, moratoriums on rent collection, we're I mean, super annoying. I mean, I'm a landlord, you know, you know, you know this. So there's that. And I, you know, I did operate an Airbnb and I, I mean, I, I, I took a hit. Like, I won't lie. Like, it's this has not been a, a favorable season, you know? I'll probably make, like, if I'm lucky, maybe I'll make 10% of what I made last year on those properties, you know? And I feel like people like Lil Wayne, Dr. Dre, probably Ice Cube. I don't know anything about Ice Cube's finances, but I think a lot of them are anti-stock market and pro uh, real estate. Nah, I think it depends on how, how sophisticated your circle is, right? Because like we we're talking about... No, Jay-Z doesn't have this problem. No, Jay-Z no. Because Jay-Z is like, I became a tech company. Well, and also, just to be fair, Jay-Z's from New York. So Jay-Z had, he had the boys there that when he got big, he was, they were probably like, yo, give, give me your money. Give me half your money so you don't fuck it up. And he was smart enough to know, like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Like, you know, Drake did that, too. Drake was like, uh, clearly, I don't need to be too involved in how the money is being made. Let me get involved in this streaming Hulu nonsense. You know, he owns those rights to Euphoria and stuff like that. So he's making money. Yeah, and it's and it's the concept of, uh, you know, everyone calls Jay-Z a sellout. But, he, you know, his response was always, I'm not a sellout. I'm buying in. Right? And it kind of goes mm. with the same thing. So Jay-Z was kind of like, I was waiting for them to knock on my door and ask to handle my money. You know, I... I <laughs> Like, but, I knew once that happened that I wasn't a crack deal anymore. I was a, a mogul, you know? But that that's the big contrast between Jay-Z, supposedly, and Dr. Dre. Because supposedly, Jimmy Ivan told Dr. Dre to keep his shares when he sold, um, when he bought into Apple. You know, when they sold Beats to Apple, mm-hmm. keep your shares in Apple. Definitely. And he Dr. definitely should have done like, that. Nah. I know. But Dr. Dre sold all of them. He did. And he put them in real estate because he was like, I think that's safer. I think I understand that. Well, a lot of people believe in the old adage, you know, buy property, God's not making any more of it. And that's true. I mean, it is true to some extent, but he didn't, they didn't say buy it and keep it. <laughs> they didn't say that. <laughs> a lot of the money in property comes from developing it, right? Not necessarily from, from holding it. It's not the same. It's kind of the opposite of stocks in some way, where stocks you make the most money of like getting a good position and holding, right? Real estate, it's, it's to make more money off of flipping it and like following the trends. That's the interesting thing about, like you even said about California. You know, you can be in different neighborhoods that are allegedly good or bad neighborhoods, but suspiciously all the houses seem to cost the same amount. And so it's like, what is going on around here? <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah, but I, but, but I mean, but I think that shows us the divide that we've been talking about a little bit earlier, right, on the pod. I mean, we're seeing, people often, we're seeing it within I guess, black wealth, right? Because I mean, all these guys, I guess, especially for African-Americans are really wealthy, but we're seeing this divide between different types of wealth, right? Like the kind of Jay-Z, Drake wealth versus like, it's not even maybe about how much money you have exactly, but like your perspective or your relationship to the economy. Um, And we're seeing this divergence between like, I guess what I like to call the sole proprietors, these guys who are like, I mean, they're kind of like landlords, right? And they support Trump. Yeah, well... And then you see these other guys who are in the new economy. And in a classic way, it's because they're, quote-unquote, more conservative. Like, their risk tolerance, or at least their perceived risk tolerance, I think is a more important way to put it, is lower from their perspective than people that play the market. Like, they feel that they have lower risk exposure in property than the market, which is technically kind of true, but not 
historically true if you look at the market performance over the past 15 years, for example, right? Well, it's a different type of risk, right? Because like, like let's say you own a couple properties and you get, well, I don't know, you get hit by a storm or the real estate market collapse, the rental market collapses, like it's collapsing right now. How are you gonna move your position? Correct. Well, this, but they also feel the same problem with stock. You know, people that are not sophisticated with, you know, stocks and bonds, they get really nervous when they see movement in a single day, right? And they, they instantly want to sell it or buy or, you know, make some sort of motion when the best idea is probably just to put their head down and go about their business and worry about it next week, you know? And maybe with stocks and things like that, you find yourself increasingly reliant on experts, right? Like, like it's very hard for you to analyze like the broad swath. Like maybe you know about a sector, right? Or you know about a few stocks, but it's probably really hard for you to become like an analyst in the whole broad sector, right? And there's also- like You're not gonna know. And there's also other weird thing that, you know, people don't like to talk about, but real estate investment is also kind of a very politically connected thing too. And so like when these mm -hmm. opportunities come around, it tends to be like semi-coordinated with certain political events that are happening in your state. Like why are you the one that gets to buy this property and develop the stuff in the first that tends to be a thing too you know what i'm saying um and so it's about where you also your power is right because like yeah if you're doing stocks right if you after a certain level right maybe you could be moving in on what's the trend in malaysia and china and thinking about the energy market that way but if you're doing real estate right it's because you have a deep knowledge and political you have deep ties to a to certain locales right and you're able to actually uh manipulate and influence what's happening at a local level correct and you feel like you have some edge, right? It's almost like the difference between being a, like a, a poker or craps player, right? And like a, a horse better, right? The po poker and craps player technically has more risk, right? But they're in more control. And the horse better, like those guys cheat all the time. Like, you know, like this, <laughs> you know, this guy's got this horse name, whatever. And it's so-and-so's son, you know, and so-and-so's daughter horse and these riders are riding it today versus this other rider. It's like all this weird inside information that like heavily influences, you know, like whether or not you can make a good bet. Like you can't just look in the book and know that stuff. You know, it's, it's mm. that, that's the best analogy I have for that kind of stuff. Well, which one are you saying is like which? Like the horse trader is like the stock market or like the real estate investor? Like the real estate investor. Uh. Yeah, because it's illegal technically in the stock market to use inside information. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's illegal, but we know, I mean, we know that the boys, like, uh, some of the big boys, let's not say any real names here, have been getting their information a little bit quicker than everybody else. Maybe it's not inside, it's just nanoseconds arriving quicker. Sure. I mean, I watched the whole movie about that the other day. Uh, God, I can't think of the name of it, but it was about them building, like, the whole thing was about this effort to build this wire from the stock exchange to, like, Omaha or something like that, and them having, like, this... It was like something like 35 millisecond advantage or something over everybody else, you know? It's, it's real. I mean, I feel like the stock market is like that. It's and literally it's basically timed entry. I mean, Bloomberg's entire business model is damn near built on that concept that he can somehow curate high quality information and disseminate it to you for $50,000 a month. <laughs> well, Bloomberg basically says that after five minutes, the information is free. Yes, correct. And so like, there's a five minute window in which the different tiers you should pay for access to this information. After that is basically useless. Yeah, well, that's your lead time. He's saying, you know, that's the real, you know, if you know it in this five minutes, you have the lead. <laughs> if you don't, then you're just a chump. You're just, you're, you're, I guess it's true. you're in the, you're in the second, but it's, it's like when you know, you're that goes all the way back to Rockefeller. I'm not Rockefeller, a Rothschild because the Rothschild was one of the first people to invest in a, a, a wire cable system around the world so they could get the information from West Africa or India first. 
Oh, definitely. And I mean, that was basically, that's, you know, that's literally why Al Capone got arrested. That's how they eventually, they wanted to get him for is wire fraud, right? Like the wire laws exist because Capone was using it to get the results from things like, once again, horse races and put in bets. He'd be able to put in a bet before the place knew the answer. He'd intercept the wire, put in a loop in it to delay it. It was a bunch of crazy stuff to give them like the slight edge so they'd always have an advantage over you. I mean, I guess in a way then people like Dr. Dre, you had to give them a little bit of credit, right? Because I mean... But this is actually... They're I, like, we don't want to play a game of chumps, right? Because like, how are you going to know before JP Morgan knows whether or not the American consumer is downturning? And so let's, let's pivot on this a little bit because I think this has a very important... Uh, analogy or simile right now is this election this is going to happen and I think this is something you were mentioning that's going to be play a, a not insignificant effect on how the Republicans play it and how they're able to hit their numbers like you were saying in Harris County for example like all this early voting you know them trying to throw out a hundred thousand votes you know specifically because they were dropped off or, you know whatever is it really that we're just giving them a target that they know that they can go hit tomorrow is that how this is working because do they have insider information now on us? I think they have. I think they've done that very well. I think they've been trying to flesh out uh, urban votes. Because uh, the Democrats have a structural disadvantage in that they have massive vote centers, vote banks, but they have less of them, right? Whereas the Republicans have all these individualized counties in which they have less votes, but they're more dispersed. It's harder to get a read, right? Like, why do they keep saying it's so hard to figure out Pennsylvania, right? Because there's so many different counties where the Republicans might be able to get their vote. Correct. And just because for whatever reason, polling is very difficult there. A lot of those people are, don't respond to polls. Um, the, the, the mountain boys are like, we're definitely not about to tell you how we're going to vote. Yeah. And uh, what do they call it? The uh, the shy Trump voter? Yeah. There's a better term for it, I heard. I forget what they call it. But basically the concept of politeness, that uh, particularly uh, Trump voting women, they were saying, will often tell you they're going to vote Biden or that they're undecided when they're firmly Trump. And that there's a, a very non, it's, you know, very significant amount of error but due to that. Also, I don't know how many African-Americans are going to turn out. I guess I think that's a big question. I mean, I know they're turning out in good numbers, but I've always felt like there were a lot more African-Americans in Philadelphia who just decide not to vote. Well, we'll see. We'll see whether or not the protesting and everything, you know, somehow, you know, ends up affecting the numbers even further in that dimension? I'm really confused about how the protests are playing out in Philly. I mean, for the last week, right, there were a number of large protests against the shooting of a mentally handicapped man um, in Philadelphia. And the protests have been pretty big, especially in West Philly. And I don't know if you saw the video where they take this guy out of the car, they take this family out of the car and they start beating them on the street, the police. Mm, it's been crazy. And I think that leads to another thing, which is really weird. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about, like even in, in LA where I am now, like I was in Beverly Hills the other night and there's these Trump, car, Trump cars who aren't talking to anybody, just driving around like kind of empty streets with flags. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, why are these people parading sort of by themselves with like flags well, but, in a city that they know they're not gonna win, but they're also not trying to get any vote. Well, cause they're just trying to let you know that they're out there. They're trying to make a presence. So. When I was talking to one of my neighbors this morning, you know, just, you know, shooting the shit about the election, I asked them, you know, you know, what's up? What do you think is going to happen? And they were basically like, you know, there's no way Biden can lose. There's not enough of those guys. And I was like, I don't know about, I don't know about that, Blair. I feel like there's not enough of them, but what's weird to me is that they... Enough of them to do I mean, what? So it was Walter Wallace that they killed in Philadelphia. I mean, he's the one that the police, uh, he was holding a knife, but he was like known to be mentally unstable. 
and um and he was walking either towards or away from you know he was like kind of staggering in the streets and and they called him on a public health emergency and then they shot him 14 times um and for the last few days like you know there have been protests after protests on this question of defunding the police but but I mean, I've been really worried about this question, exactly what you're saying. Like, what are they trying to do? Uh, and enough of them for what? Like, I, I've been thinking more and more that it's like a revival, you know, like the early Christian revivalism in the 19th century in the US. Yeah. And that Trump is basically organizing a revival, right? Like when they ran the they ran the Biden bus off the highway, like you're like, they're not trying to persuade new people as much as they're like trying to amp themselves up, right? Like they're, they're like, they're getting into like a frenzy. Sure, and they're trying to, you have to make it appear that you're more numerous and more scary than you are if you're really going to try to make a play to try to steal this thing, right? Mm-hmm. I guess that's the other... I guess that's what I'm saying. I think optics are not insignificant here to a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, we have to look like we're out there, that we're doing the thing. And, I mean, they're also trying to intimidate people. In Texas, they straight up were shutting down highways and stuff. And and in New York. But they're doing it in weird places like New York City. They shut down the highways going into New York City. And so that's not necessarily because they're trying to win New York City, but you're right. They're basically making a play with the police, I think, in some places. I mean, that's what I think is a little bit scary. Yeah, they're basically standing outside. They're basically saying, we out you, you know? Yeah, they're basically saying we're out here, right? And then, and I think they're kind of showing us that we can't necessarily rely on some of the local police forces to clear them away. You definitely can't. I mean, they're definitely making a play. I think police support for Trump right now is like 87%, 80, something crazy high. And if you consider like the amount of those people that are in certain cities too, like if you look at the numbers, I mean, police support for Trump is almost total, right? Like I I trust, I trust our police in New Orleans. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But you guys in New Orleans seem to be, I mean, it's a big change from when we grew up in the 90s, right? Like the New Orleans Police Department seems to be significantly reformed from the 90s. It's a little better. You're like, maybe. It's better. <laughs> well, they've, they've been, maybe there's democratic control. They've been under Obama. consent decree since Obama, right? And so, mm. as a result, they can't pursue anyone. You know, they seem to be doing a little bit more detective work. You know, they've been complaining about their pay being cut, but who doesn't complain about that? You know. Well, that's a big question also for in L.A. The big debate is, like, who should be district attorney? And it's an interesting one because it's, like, an African-American woman who is mostly supported by the police unions and um, a Latino former police officer who is saying that, you know, basically L.A. police should stop being able to pursue people. We need to institute police reform. He's supported by Justice Democrats, you know, the Soros boys. And so it's a question of, like, where people stand. But, I mean... I think it poses a lot of interesting questions about like what's going to happen in this election, right? Because, I mean, it's interesting to see the police as a group across racial lines who maybe are supporting, I mean, who are overwhelmingly supporting Trump. I think the officers that shot uh, Walter Wallace were actually African-Americans. Really? And so, and so there's, a lot, there's a lot going on right now. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, I'd sent you something earlier. I mean, the, the Walter Wallace thing really reminded me of something that happened in New Orleans back in 05. They shot this guy, Anthony Hayes. And it was almost the exact same thing. He was a mentally old man brandishing a knife that was gunned down by police because he, quote unquote, brandished a knife at police. But like, then why did so many people shoot him? You know, it's like it was on video and everything. Um, caused some protests at the time. Probably not, not quite anything like you saw in Philly. But, you know, it, it was a thing. And some of those police officers were black as well. Like, I don't think, I don't think being, being black makes you any less of a cop. 
No, I mean, I think that's one of the things we're finding is that a lot of the African-American district attorneys are actually kind of conservative. Well, I mean, it's like a lot of people have come up through the through law enforcement. Yeah, and you develop a bias over time. If all you do all day is your job as the district attorney is to determine whether or not someone, like a case can be proceeded upon, right? Whether or not you think you have the ability to, to prosecute someone. I mean, you're going to you're gonna be biased over time. I think it's safe to say. That's true. But how are you feeling about the election right now? If you uh, had to take a pick. I mean, I think... Or do you think it's too soon? I mean, I think it's a coin flip. You know, the main thing I'm really, you know, worried about personally is everyone uh, seems to think we're going to get results tomorrow. I, I, you know, I don't think we're going to get results tomorrow. I think if we do, it's going to be a, pro, a Biden win. Um, so you think if we get results tomorrow, it's a Biden blowout? If Biden looks like he blew out tomorrow, then Biden blew out. I think that's safe to say. But I was also looking at the numbers for early voting, um, and they seem kind of... Because they look good on both sides. Seems like both Republicans and Democrats are early voting in pretty high numbers. One thing we have to say is that I think Trump has done wonders for participation, both Democratic and Republican participation. Turnout's great. People are voting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, turnout's great. He's made it a show. I mean, because numbers are way higher than they were in 2016 even, right? Yeah, much higher. Mm. But I'm a little nervous about, like, Florida and Pennsylvania. I think those might be much closer than we, as Democrats, are, we're hoping for. Florida? What are you talking about Florida for? <laughs> Alvin doesn't like Florida as God, homie. Florida? Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, if, if Biden wins, what do you think is the path to his victory? Um, he has, do you think he carries? He has a few paths to his victory. Um, if he steals Arizona, I think if he steals uh, Arizona, he can win. Let's start with that. I think that's a path to victory. Um, if he somehow magically steals Georgia, he wins. I don't think he's, I don't think that's going to happen at all. Especially with their governor. Some people are saying there's been a there's been a revolution post Stacey Abrams, but I don't know how far the revolution has come. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. Those boys show they can work some magic with those numbers over there. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, he has the whole North Carolina, though, right? Yes, yes. I don't think he has to worry about North Carolina, to be honest. I, I think North Carolina is mm. pretty firmly in his in his column. Well, what do you think the path to victory for Trump is? I mean, Trump has to win Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania is turning out to be the pivotal state. Yeah, Trump has to win Pennsylvania. I don't see any path. So if we see a clear sign one way or the other in Pennsylvania uh, tomorrow night, we, we kind of have some idea of where the election is going. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. And what do you think happens? I mean, I don't know if we should even bring this up yet. Like, I, like I don't... I'm just looking at the, sorry, I'm, I'm searching through the simulations I ran. I don't have a single simulation that Trump wins in which he doesn't win Pennsylvania. He has to win Pennsylvania. Oh, Trump? Mm-hmm. He has to. Mm-hmm. I mean, but what are your simulations taking into account? Uh, the number of early voting, uh, numbers from last time, weighted polling average, most mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And so do you think it's, do you have any tendencies on which way you think it's going? Oh, I mean, Biden's still, I think, a favorite. I think he's a three to two favorite, I'd say. Um, mm. Just because Trump's path is so narrow. The thing is, two of, two of his paths are fairly probable, though, is the issue. Um, and whereas Biden has a lot of different ways he can get there, but I, I've, there, are lots, there are a lot lower probability paths, you know? So even though people are giving him some weight and saying, oh, Biden can win, you know, all these different ways, it just seems unlikely when you look at the joint probabilities that it's actually going to happen that way. Mm. So you're saying in some ways Biden's gamble is that he's actually transformed the map. 
but it's a transforming. Like Biden's gamble is that he significantly changed the map from 2016 and reopened all these like paths. No, nah. Trump's. I think Biden's Biden's advantage. Well, maybe that's possible. I think his real advantage is that he blocks Trump from those other paths. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, if if it does go those other paths, it's gonna go Biden's way. Definitely not Trump's. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. I don't know if I'm making sense. You know, he's kind of like weighted. He's, he's weighted it differently. So you're saying that Trump is the real change agent and Biden is closing off some of the paths that he used to defeat Hillary. Yes, I agree. Just because a lot, it seems like a lot of the reason is one, he just not hated as much as Hillary Clinton. That might be his single best feature here. That people, I mean, people are indifferent. Was Hillary a uniquely bad candidate? I mean, Hillary was probably a better candidate in some ways. I think they just made a lot of mistakes and timing is a big deal, man. Like the nation likes to seek equilibrium, right? So we just had Obama, you know, Hillary was, maybe she made a big mistake working at his cabinet. I can say that. Maybe had she been a little bit more distance from the Obama years, she might've had an ability to pop up out of nowhere. I know she thinks she gave her more legitimacy, but emails, but Benghazi, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it wasn't really a very good period for her, right? Um, so you think in some ways it was Obama fatigue? And I feel like yes. that also hurt Entirely. on the left. Entirely. Yeah, but always. Because, like, when I was working in Philly at the time, I had just become director of Africana Studies, and I remember how angry Philly was. Like, I feel like Black Lives Matter was cresting in a way. The idea that Obama hadn't been able to do anything about things like Trayvon Martin's murder had made people kind of disgusted, right? There was this idea that what, you know, after eight years, what did we get? And I feel like that fatigue also weighed on Hillary. Yeah, I mean, that's what made me be such a, you know, large Bernie supporter this time. I, I feel like we didn't get enough from from the Obama years. I, you know, I, I do think he might be wanted to do a little bit more, but he definitely didn't do it. And so, you know, I mean, I was a Hillary supporter, you know, ish, but I, it's, I, I think Hillary's left of Obama. I think she probably would have tried to follow through on some of those things, but just to be fair to be fair to her. Um, but I think she was just too closely associated with it and people wanted to change, you know? I think Hillary was left of Obama, except for on the issue, except for on the one place in which she actually served in the cabinet, and maybe she served in the wrong place. So she served in foreign affairs, in which it's not really clear. I mean, the one place where Hillary might not have been left of Obama was on international relations, right? I mean, I think Obama beat her in 2008 on the question of Iraq. And then by going in to be Secretary of State, Hillary only tied herself further to... Sure, but that was a... The Iraq question was a little superficial, let's be honest. Like, he beat her on the question of Iraq, sure. I think that's how he got the nomination in 08. I'm not saying it was right. I mean, Trump might have gotten the nomination on in 16 on the emails, which we know are a complete non-issue. Like, now we can't even re-decipher what the email issue was about. Yeah, nobody knows. Especially given, you know... <laughs> ja- Especially given how Trump has operated. And Jared and Ivanka and all of them, their emails are all on insecure servers, I've heard. So there's also that. But, yeah. Well, they just stopped. They just started using WhatsApp. And Trump with his, like, insecure Android 5.0 phone. <laughs> shit like that. I mean, it's like, wow. Yeah, it was all a joke, right? I mean, the problem that Hillary had was that she was in that half generation where she still thought you needed a server instead of just being like, you know, play, I'm going to use a Yahoo account. Like, she actually got caught by still believing in the system in some way. Well, yeah, by, like, improperly implementing the control measures. Like, she actually tried to do the control measures, but she did them poorly. And so somehow that makes it look shadier because, like, why do you have this insecure thing but that you want to have it in your house? Because also, like, it was in her house. The whole thing was weird. 
It's like the whole thing was weird, right? It's like there's no nobody in your group know where the cloud is. No one's heard of this. No one in her group knew about the cloud. It's crazy, right? And like, and so you, I think you were in this moment of transition, which I think is actually one of the things that's hitting hard right now, right? Is this is how these transitions are playing out? But I think one of the big disagreements we've had recently is this question of like. How will different sides react to the election outcome? So let's say the election takes weeks. You know, maybe we're right. It's before we get certified results, because I think even if Biden wins, I don't know if Trump is going to like concede, especially if there's any ambiguity in the victory, right? And then we could expect there'll be a series of court challenges. I mean, they've already sort of been teed up. I mean, the Republicans have kind of telegraphed the court challenges. I'm not sure what the court challenges the Democrats might play are, but I'm sure they have some court challenges prepared as well. Um, maybe they have a slightly weaker hand with the state of the Supreme Court. But but let's say those challenges play out. We expect results maybe, you know, maybe it takes a couple of weeks. How do you think different sides will respond to the perceived legitimacy or illegitimacy of the election? Well, you know, to put it simply, I, I think that as time grows, Trump's odds of winning increase, right? Like the more time it takes, the better it is for Trump. Because but the incumbent? Or? Up, up until the point oh because they get to control basically they're going to try to bring a court challenge like you're saying right and so it's all it's all a temporal thing they're going to have to try to stop the counting and declare a victory when they're ahead they can't do it when they're behind and so they're going to have to wait till the numbers favor them and say okay that's end of counting <laughs> no, no more counting there's enough counting done right but i think if you count all the votes i think most of us agree that it becomes more and more likely once again that biden wins and so it's like they have to find this optimal it's actually not as straightforward and simple as people think right they have to find this optimal time to stop it and say hey it appears that we're ahead these are the votes that we count right and maybe we will recount them if it's close but only these votes right to try to give them this kind of marginal advantage Right, but it's it's very temporal. Like if they don't do it as a timing attack, I mean, if all of those get counted, that's not that's definitely not what they want. So I mean, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, in terms of response, though, what I'm most interested to see is how how Fox and CNN play it. I'm gonna have to put up my split screen, my picture in picture <laughs> tomorrow. I already I already went and bought myself a duck. Let's <laughs> make a roasted well, duck. The wild thing right now is that both of them might declare victory, right? If that happens, Trump wins. That's really bad. I th- so I think we're going to see this other weird thing. I mean, I don't know. But what I expect to see is that CNN is going to be responsible. And because they're the ones that kind of fumbled it during Bush Gore, too. Don't forget. So they have this weird history of announcing things early and wrong. Right? So I think they're going to say it probably appears to be this. And if numbers follow the trends we have, the data, blah, 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 then so-and-so will win. I think that's the way they're going to do it. And I think Fox is going to say Trump won. Um, you think MSNBC will then just jump out and be like Biden won? Maybe. I, I think. I think unless you know, unless it looks because there is there are some scenarios in which Trump does rock it. Like it's possible that he does have a decent sized victory. And so if that's the case, they might they they might call it. I don't know. But what happens if there's a perceived illegitimacy? Like what happens if basically Trump wins because there's massive like you know there's several disputes about I, stopping the vote count in Texas, Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know. There's some confusion in Florida. You know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Nobody knows really who won Wisconsin. I mean, I think it's safe to say at this point that's a fail complete, right? I think uh, we're there. I don't think I think both sides there's a significant enough portion of both sides. They're gonna call the results illegitimate. 
And this is where you and I disagree about what's going to happen as a result. You know, you, you predict massive unrest. We might disagree on what unrest means. I don't know if it just means people that can't go to sleep at night. If so, then maybe. But I honestly think, and you're going to, a lot of people don't agree with me. It's sad. I'm not saying I'm pro this response. I think Americans are a little satiated and a little lazy. I don't think, I don't see a revolution occurring as a result either way. I just don't see it. Well, I think, I think I kind of agree with you on one point that I think, you know, like the Women's March kind of response, those like pink hats. I don't think Americans are in a position where they can really sustain that for so long, right? Like I think, I think, I think Americans are a little bit tired. Most of us are a little bit strung out. Um, we can march for a little while, like in January, but like, I don't know how well that would go. But I, I worry, well, I think I disagree with you in the sense that I feel like we're already kind of in unrest. Like, I feel like the things we've been seeing all summer are, are kind of troubling. And I worry that like, the big problem isn't that it'll be right away, but the big problem is that, you know, okay, let's say people kind of leave after January, February. It's only a certain amount of time before something happens. Like what we saw in Philly, or what we've been seeing in Louisville, or what we saw in Kenosha, or what we saw in Portland, where people come back out again. And, and I wonder what happens if like, I mean, we always make fun of the Obamas and them for being kind of pacifist, right? Like, you know, the NBA strike and they told LeBron, maybe you should start playing again. But what happens if you've actually gotten to the point where the party, and I think this is the second problem, is I feel like the DNC would have a massive crisis of internal legitimation. And like when, when, when the confrontation happens, which probably won't be something they started, they might no longer feel either able or willing to come out there and be like a counter force, right? And so they might actually feel like they need to go out. And so like, what happens if you get like Obama tear gassed in Kenosha? Nothing. Maybe Kenosha just keeps burning. I mean, the one thing the U.S. has is that it's very diffused, and so yeah. But who's that? You can have. But who's that going to be good for? If I mean, if Kenosha keeps burning, then Trump's going to say, you know, assuming this is all because he won, right? Which is what I assume you're presenting here. He's going to once to say, you know, once again say, look at these, you know, Democrat-run communities and how bad they are. Should I send in troops to stop them? And maybe this time he will. Right? Yeah, but I think that I think that's where we start to see the madness. Is that you could start to see a kind of thing that we saw, I guess, earlier in the sixties. Or maybe he'll do his other thing, which is more of Trump's thing, and just ignore it. And be like, see, I told you they run the streets like crap, don't go there. And just do nothing. Call it a day. But I guess the other weird thing that he has is he has these boys like Kyle Rittenhouse and them, who I guess whether or not Trump tells them to or not, are already devoted uh, to armed confrontation. And so I don't think it's good for the country at all, but, and I don't, and I think I agree with you. I don't think it's an organized movement in the way in which, you know, you can like change a government, but it does seem like there could be several years of a level of confrontation, maybe, you know, spread out that first disperse that the U.S. is not really, uh, hasn't seen in a couple decades. And I wonder what the cost would that would be for like U.S. politics to like. I mean, it could be good. I guess it could produce a new kind of politics out of it. Maybe we're in a period of transition where the next politics hasn't yet emerged. I mean, if Biden wins, he has another. He has a similar problem, right? I feel like if a Biden victory, I feel like opens up the space for more of the kind of violence that we saw in places like Charleston. Sure. Right. That that there is actually this massive group of people who will not believe that Biden won and who believe it's some kind of moral imperative I, I, uh, I think to we, protest and to I, act against the country. I mean, sadly enough, I don't think, 
I don't think people care that much. I hate to say it like that. I think I think the forces that be, particularly economic forces, are going to take over, and people are going to have to go back to work for the most part, and people are going to have to pay their bills, and it's not going to affect their lives that much on a day-to-day basis, initially, initially. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I do think there's going to be, you know, there might be another Million Man March, right? There might be some more, uh, like you said, you know, we might see, we see some more uh, uh, pink hats, you know? I was trying to figure out the right way to say that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I think, I think, that, I think you're right. I think initially we're going to see a million man march of pink hats, but I feel like by summer we're going to see, uh, we'll start seeing these. We'll continue because I don't think it's new, right? I mean, the problem is that we've already seen it. I think we're going to see more and more Portland. Well, the other thing I guess that we're not mentioning, which is the real elephant in the room, is it's going to depend on what happens after the election, whether or not Trump wins with the stimulus and like you were talking about before with the rent moratorium, because there's predictions now that in certain states like mine, nearly 50% of renters and uh, like say they're not gonna be able to make rent next month and they fear eviction, 50%? Well, that's the other thing that I'm really worried about. And I was having an argument with one of my friends who's been buying more and more stocks recently. And so one theory, I think, you're right, right? I think actually either an overwhelming Trump victory or an overwhelming Biden victory are good for the economy, right? Because then you can move on to things like stimulus. Maybe we can solve some of these problems. But I feel like the real elephant is actually divided government. Like, let's say by some, let's say like by some uh, shenanigans, the Republicans hold on to the Senate and Biden wins a narrow presidency and we get no stimulus. Yeah. Then I think we might be in a whole different set of problems. Thankfully, or, I don't know. Thankfully, that's the least likely scenario of all the scenarios. So mm. I think the odds that they win the Senate and Biden wins is near zero. Just FYI. Thankfully mm. for us. So that probably won't happen. If, if Biden wins, it looks like we're going to have at worst a, a tie break with uh, Kamala. Right. Mm. That's what most of the projections say in terms of turnout. Yeah, because that would be the worst outcome, I think. Yeah. Would be Mitch in charge of the Senate and Biden as as press. Yeah, I think you're actually far more likely to see the Democrats winning the Senate and Trump retaining the presidency, which could get really wild and interesting too. Because if we have the House and well, that Senate, that could be the best. Uh, well, that could be one of the best outcomes. Well, well, yeah, because they'll be able to put pressure on them. Popular, real popular pressure from the center left, right? They'll be able to just put a bunch of bills on his desk and make him have to veto them all. That's a that's. And Trump might sign them. The other weird thing is that Trump might sign some of them. He definitely will sign some of them. That, that's the one thing we know about him is he's actually kind of all about making a deal. Like I don't know how in earnest you think this platinum plan is. I guess is the question. But I mean, he was he was willing, for better or worse, to sit down with Cube and Little Wayne. I don't know why these guys get to be the ambassadors for our community. Platinum, because they're the they're the rap musicians that Jared Kushner had on his iPhone. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And he probably wrote like Jay Z, and Jay Z was like not nah, player. So you know, he might have written Jay Z. Drake sent a form message back. But Jay Z, Jay Z might have said, "Hold on one second. He showed it to Bay, and Bay was like, "Fuck no." <laughs> that was, that was the end of that. Yeah, basically, Drake sent a form letter back saying I'm a Canadian, and you know, this is who we could get. This is who we could get in contact with. He probably doesn't listen to Kendrick, so you know. Yeah, I don't think Kendrick's trying to work with them. <laughs> so this is who we could get, right? I mean, this is. I mean, these were like the rappers who responded, and like, but no, you're right. I think that would be a really interesting scenario: Democratic Congress with a Trump president. 
in some ways, it might save the Democrats from the other problem that they're going to have if they actually win everything, which is when they discover that they don't agree on anything. Well, that is, as you know, you've said that might be the biggest threat of the Biden presidency to, you know, I don't know. If he means what he's been saying. The biggest problem for the Biden presidency is that I think they have a rather rather short, like if they win everything, the biggest problem they have is that they have a rather short window in which to come to agreement. A A bunch of forces who do not agree. And it would take a lot of vigor, I think, on Biden's part, which we don't 100% know that he has in order to be like, okay, guys, this is the plan. Because you got, because you have what? A year before the midterm. Correct. And if they don't deliver before the midterms, they're going to suffer a shellacking. Well, and they're trying to walk this very narrow, you know, once again, nothing will fundamentally change. So he's trying to walk this like tightrope. Like, how can you say nothing's going to fundamentally change and then deliver something? Like, what is he going to deliver? You know? Yeah, because he wants to do both. Nothing is going to fundamentally change, and everything is going to fundamentally change. Like I've been talking to these, like some of my friends on this app called Clubhouse, and like the same people are both saying things like, "We want a hundred, you know, we want a Green New Deal. We want Medicare for all, but we don't want taxes to raise." And you're kind of like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" How are you gonna? That's literally (laughs) impossible. They're like, we want a new judiciary, we want to defund the police, but then we want to keep the police. And you're kind of like, how is this all going to work? Well, I think uh, you know. I think the real problem, to be honest, is that everyone knows what we need to do, just no one wants to say it. Um, and it's, what we need to do is tax the shit out of the, the ultra-wealthy. That's it. Like, our tax code, this is something I bring up over and over and people always forget about. We have like five tax brackets now. You know there used to be 100? At one point there was 200! There's only five tax brackets now for income tax. If there were 100 tax brackets, guess what? Problem solved. Because you wouldn't have all these different people in the same boat. You know, I wouldn't have my doctors and lawyers weren't worrying about getting taxed like Jeff Bezos. Or even the VC guys worried they're getting taxed like Jeff Bezos. Because he'd be in a different bracket. Straight up. Right? But now they're currently all in the same boat. So, I mean, they, you know, I can't blame them. It's like when my friends Everyone at, is really upset. It's like my friends that work in fracking. They're like, you know, I can't vote Biden. Like, I think Trump's annoying, but you know, I, I don't like what Biden said about fracking. He's on the fence. Like, you know, I don't like fracking. <laughs> I think they should probably vote for Biden. But it makes sense. You know, they can't take money out their own out their own mouths. You can't do that. I mean, I think that's what's really scary at this moment is I guess we're in this transition, right? Because no one. Like, I feel like some parts of the Democrats now believe that there is a new economy, but the new economy is not here, right? It's like, it's like we kind of think we're about to get to this green energy thing, but it's not 100% here yet. It's sort of here, but and it's, and the future has been unevenly distributed. Sure. And I guess in that way, we might have a period of unrest. I don't want to call it unrest, but we might have an uncomfortable next four years, no matter who wins. And, uh, you know, to close, uh, you know, I got to say, I read, I read uh, Uncle Trevor's... Uh, <laughs> Book reviews. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I don't agree with everything he said, obviously, but I think he makes some good points about the analogies, um, you know, with the past and, and how things have changed, you know, especially post-Reconstruction and how it's kind of similar to now in many ways. I, I think one of the things that he kind of over or underestimates is the influence of old money mm. and how we're actually returning to the, the more of the antebellum type system, actually. And that these are some of the mm. same people and that they are very, there are, there's a non-insignificant class of people that are very comfortable with things being arranged that way. Like you say, like taxes are not for them to pay. It's for you to pay to them, you know? Um, and so I caution, and this is what I try to caution most people, I think, on the democratic side right now, that we need to look take a long look at our party 
because maybe we're the ones that could end up being the Whigs. Because um, like you said, what happens if we win and we have nothing to offer? I think there's deeper divisions in terms of theory. Honestly, right now, in the Democratic Party, I mean, Alden, our past two nominees are former Republicans. We got Biden, who's a new Democrat, and Hillary Clinton. And Barack Obama. And Barack Obama, for all that. And Bill. <laughs> and Bill. But they would and not Bill. take... They, they, there's no one even close to being an ex-Democrat that has a chance of being a Republican president. Unless you count Trump, which is just like, oh my God, no. But... <laughs> and so I think... I think, I think it's important to know. has a better theory of the case. I mean, has a theory of the case. Maybe a wrong theory of the case, but they have a theory. And they have a more, they have a more unified theory. Now, whether or not they're right or not, you know, I, I, that's why I say try to avoid the democratic righteousness. You know, they're willing to play and find out. Whereas I think many of us believe a priori that we're correct. You know, that we proceed, you know, from, uh, from truth. Yeah, we, we believe that we're too smart. And sometimes we're too smart by half. But 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 I think you're right. I think the point you're making, just to close out, is a really interesting one. I mean, I think sometimes we think, and I fall into this trap too. I often talk about this fight between the old economy and the new economy. But I forget that the bridge is, that some of the same people that own the old economy also seem to own the new economy. And that the money, right. the money is often the same. I mean, even this fight we're doing with the Chinese, we've been increasingly finding out that the money in China is also the same old money in the U.S. And so it's, it's a little hard to have this fight. Yeah, a little difficult to <laughs> disentangle like, the two things at the same time when you're talking you're about like, the same oh, thing. oh, I forgot that TikTok is actually owned by Americans. <laughs> You know, it's a little tough. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's something we should not talk about next time. I think when we come back after the election, we'll talk about, you know, some of these challenges moving ahead and whether or not there's an old or a new economy. So what are you doing, what are you doing tomorrow? Are you going sit, to sit up and watch the results or are you just going to go to sleep and re- read the papers next week? What do, you, what do you think people should do? I'm going to try to buy a little bit more food just to stay in in case, you know, in case things get wild. But, uh, but I think you got to... I think we just gotta go to sleep tomorrow, right? Hopefully, we'll have some answers by the time. Oh, yeah, I forgot open. about that. Yeah, things might get. LA's preparing for a little rioting, right? They're boarding up all downtown and all that. I forgot. Oh yeah, they put they brought all these private security guards to Beverly Hills and stuff like that. So I so I think you know, I mean I think nothing might happen. I think the strongest chance is that nothing's gonna happen. But I just I don't think I'm gonna wander the streets on Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Looking forward to chatting with you guys, and uh, and we'll be back after this election. We'll let you know what's happening. Fucking right. Peace, Tommy. All right, peace. See you.